Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, the Southeastern Railway Museum right here in Duluth, Georgia. Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and get into this episode of What the Riff? 1,800 Unification Church couples wed in Korea. We called them the Moonies. Watergate figures John Mitchell, H.R. Haldeman, and John Ehrlichman are sentenced to jail for conspiracy and obstruction of justice. And in response to the energy crisis, daylight savings time starts two months early in the United States. This is February 1975, and you're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm John. I'm Rob. And with us bringing this album is our fan of the show, Sean Mooney. I I am so happy to be here. I I feel like I'm a groupie that gets to hang out with the band. (laughs) All right. What do you have for us, Sean? Well, if you don't recognize the musicality of this particular group, let me put a few things out there that may help you. Think Trio, think Professor, and think the Great White North. All right. So, of course, this is the Canadian trio of Rush. On vocals, bass, and keyboards is Gary Lee Weinrib, better known as Getty Lee to the rest of us. Alex Leibson is on guitar, and Neil Peart is on drums and percussion. And remember, that is Peart. I don't know if you guys remember the movie, I Love You, Man, but they actually walk up to to, uh, Getty at a concert, and they say, are you sure that that's the way you pronounce pronounce Peart? And and Getty goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure he knows how to pronounce his name. (laughs) Go to the source. This is yeah. the first album he was on, correct? This is the first album, so there's there's a history behind that, um, and so the the name of the album is Fly By Night. Oh yeah, uh, it was released in February '75 on Mercury Records. But just listen to that. We got a bunch of hands that are rocking in the air right now. What's the song? the The song is named Anthem, uh, and it was really cool. The the background to that is the the original. Three were Getty and Alex and a guy named John Rutsey in 1968. That's where they actually developed the band. So through the course of the time, uh, Rutsey got got ill. He got diabetes. And so he just couldn't perform any longer. And they they had a guy named Jerry Fielding who jumped in for uh, a a little bit and did a tour. But then they decided to do an audition. They auditioned five drummers. And hmm. the drummers had to play this song in order to be wow. considered. <laughs> so Peart was fourth. And, of course, as soon as they heard Peart, they were like, oh, well, this is our drummer. So they felt really sorry for the fifth drummer because he still had to do the audition. But they already, already decided that, that Peart was the guy. They recognized greatness. So this song was, 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 done, was written before Peart was part of the band. It was. Okay. It, yeah, it was. Anthem, from what I understand, was a, a title of a book by Ann Rand. Correct. And Neil Peart's really the big libertarian and writer for things like this. Yep, that's exactly right. 
so when they finally decided that they had to part ways with uh, with Rutsey, it really hurt him because actually Alex and Rutsey are the two that actually started the band. Uh, and so when oh. they had to make that decision, it was really hurt them. Yeah. Uh, it hurt everybody. Yeah. But they understood it was something that had to happen. Uh, so then, you know, the professor was born. Yeah. Uh, and he started to uh, be part of the band at J- J- July 29th, 74, which happens to be Getty's birthday. So that was kind of a, uh, a cool part there. Sean, I want to ask one. Was this song... A precursor for twenty one twelve because this has the same theme. It does. It's actually it was it was something that that Peart loved, and so it was an inspiration for twenty one twelve. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting that these this was the drum that they wanted people to play the drum line. That's one of the reasons right there. I mean, doing set triplets like that, yeah, you got to be able to do that to play with with uh, Getty and Alex. So it was it was fantastic. All right. Fantastic song. All right. So now we're going to uh, another song that all Rush fans recognize, Beneath, Between, and Behind. Yes. Now you you can hear Neil. There must be something about the chair you're sitting in. Because, like, most Rush albums are brought to us by either you or Bruce, and you're both sitting in the same location. <laughs> I like it. It must be the chair. That's yeah. the only common denominator. Oh, he's hating missing this. I know. I was going to say, Bruce wishes he could be here. <laughs> well, I'm glad to fill in for Bruce yeah. because, you know, Rush fans, we got to stick together. So this is this is a fantastic song. Uh, this was written by Neil and, and Alex. And if you really listen to the, the words, it's about the discovery of America and the birth of a nation. So when you look at the words, it says beneath noble bird. Could that be the bald eagle? You know, it doesn't describe this. I'm just putting these in here. Between the proudest words. Is that the Declaration of Independence? Uh, Behind the beauty cracks appear. So not perfect. Uh, Once with held held once with heads held high. Um, They sang out to the sky. Why do their shadows bow in fear? Hmm. So when you really look at it, it really does speak to how America was born. And, uh, you know, they're looking to the sky. Was that God? Because, you know, that was it was the way the nation was formed. So this is a fantastic, um, a, a fantastic song. Here it has some really deep lyrics, that me. And that's one of the things that they really loved about having Peart come on as well is because they just wanted to write music, Eddie and Alex. They were not lyricists. And so when he came on and they started talking to him about writing and he started to write, they were like, wow, this guy is really deep. And he, and it's not just simple words. I mean, it's very complex. It makes you stop and think. If I remember, this really was not that popular at the time. And the... Uh, the record label was about ready to kick him to the curb, if I remember what Bruce was saying. And they said, hey, you guys need to write us some hits. And then they did 2112, which is one song on one side of an album. You know? Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, it was, it was their second album, so th- yeah. they weren't usually popular yet. Um, and so the, the record company did that. But then just the way these three guys are, they're like, well, you know what? We're going to do our thing. So they did 2112, the album, and they're like, if you fire us, you fire us. And the album was hugely popular. Uh, you know, the whole first first side, the 2112 
song with so many parts. You know, it's about aliens and, you know, you know, it's amazing. But they were just like, we're going to do it our own way. All right. You ever see the, you ever see these guys live? <laughs> Once or twice. Once or twice, like every time they came to Atlanta. Yeah, they're fantastic. That's one of the few bands uh, that I'm like really love from the '70s that I've not seen live. Yet. Really, you yeah. didn't go see them? Yeah, okay. if, you, if you could uh, please invite a female to go see it with you. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, they're not touring anymore. Neil passed away a few years back. So. Yeah, yeah, that is true. So this one's called "Best I Can," and um, John, you were talking about going to see them live. One thing that's really cool, and everybody who's seen them live knows that they do a skit before the concert starts, and some of them are just absolutely hilarious. There's one, uh, I think it was in 2011, where they did Tom Sawyer, but they did it as a time machine, and and Alex is back there trying to, to get the time warp to work correctly, and they kept going backward in time and forward in time while they were doing Tom Sawyer. There was another one where they did the polka. Anybody who knows Rush knows the polka. Uh, you got, you got. Uh, it was Getty was a uh, a soda jerk behind the uh, behind the counter, and uh, Neil was. Uh, was he was a uh, policeman. Oh, they were just hilarious. Every single one of them. Everybody always looked forward to the skit before. They have odd props. When I went to see them, they had washing machines yeah. on stage. Like yeah. that, literally. All these washing machines. Yep, it's yep. Like, and then they had rotisserie chickens once yes. back there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> well, and another little tidbit is they actually, since this is their, their really their second album, but this was their first tour, they actually toured with Kiss. Yeah. And this is something that I had heard about, but I hadn't really you know known until I started to look at it. And they said they really learned a lot from Kiss. Huh. Um, and it was funny. Kiss was struggling trying to get their sound and really get out there. And Rush was just on cloud nine because they were in a steady gig and they were touring all over these cities. And a piece I thought was interesting is that they were collecting Holiday Inn hotel keys because they never thought they'd ever be able to tour like this again. Now you think back to 40 years together and where yeah. they stayed and what they did. It's amazing that you never know uh, what's going to happen. wonder what happened to that collection. <laughs> yeah, right? It'd be priceless now, right? Yeah. It would be amazing to have, oh, here's my Holiday Inn, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. I'm no uh, professor, but I did stay at the Holiday Inn last night. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, so the other thing is that this this song was actually written by Getty, because this was before uh, uh, Peart came on. Uh, but most people think it was written by Neil because he wrote everything else on Fly By Night. So, oh. yeah, a nice little tidbit there as well. Sean, the drum work, I mean, obviously is phenomenal. And you're a drummer. Right. And you must have been inspired by this man i was so uh, like a lot of young frustrated drummers i tried to play like neil and i would spend hours behind the kit trying to figure out what he was doing and trying to figure out you know the different licks he was doing and how he was able to bring all this together and it, it was impossible for me to play like him i mean he he was self-taught but he still worked on it constantly and uh learning more about Neil, he would actually come up with different uh, ways of playing, and he would record those so that then he could use them later, put them into a song somewhere. It was it was absolutely amazing. So this is the, the title song for the album, Fly By Night. I learned how to play this on a guitar. Did you? That's all I could play on a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> 
this part, and then it was I was done. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was interesting that you know. But one time I tried to learn how to play the guitar, and they say that you're supposed to play an acoustic guitar before electric because if you ever learn electric, you're not going to learn acoustic. So I tried, and I went to a buddy of mine who I was playing a band with, and I go. Am I supposed to feel the tips of my fingers? Because they've gone numb. And he goes, well, you're pressing too hard. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to stick to just beating the skins. Well, <laughs> like they say, the Beatles said, I got blisters on my fingers. And that's yeah. the reason why. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I love this song. Ah, man, this is a great song. Yeah, this is, this is I, I'd consider their first hit. I don't know, yeah. Working, Working Man probably was, would right. be, you know, another one. But yeah. But that was before Neil Peart. Yeah, that was one where they they really got their first sound was in yeah. Working Man on the first album that was self-titled Rush. Uh, yeah, that was excellent. And he, when you you listen to Getty now, I mean, you know, the, like the probably the past five years or the last five years, he couldn't hit these notes anymore. And yeah. and it's noted that um, that his his voice was just significantly high. I mean, we all know that, but there's only a couple other rock artists that right. that have that kind of high-pitched sound, but it worked so well for him. But that was interesting because I'd missed a few concerts, and when they were coming back for their for their R40 tour to Atlanta, but I'd heard I heard Getty singing, and I said, wow, I need to go because I don't know how much longer he's right. going to be able to sing like this because he was starting to lose his high pitch. So I think I've seen a cover band that had a female sing... Getty's part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and they even say that. It's Spirit of Rush. They'll love throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, they say it takes four of us to do what three of them did. It, it is really amazing. Yeah, but to what you what you said, Wayne, yeah, we did lose Neil. Um, uh, there's a lot about Neil that is just amazing, but uh, that's really the reason that they only they, they stopped after the R40 tours because he had severe tendonitis. And I remember here in Atlanta when I was watching him play, and right at the end, the last song, which was Working Man, he stood up before the song had ended, and he was just rubbing his hands. And Alex looks over at him like, what are you doing? The song's not over. And then he sat back down and finished the song and then got up, and he was just, just wrenching on his hands. Ah. Um, and they still played, I think, seven or eight um, you know, additional tour, I mean, additional dates before they actually ended in the, the forum in L.A. Mm. And it was the one time that, that Neil came out behind the kit and came up and took a bow. He always just waved yeah. from behind the kit. So I think everybody kind of knew this might be it. Well, this is it for this album for you. Thank you for bringing it, man. It's just a pleasure to have somebody that's such a fan of Rush oh, do that. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you. Well, yeah, now most people here in this in this studio don't really like Rush a whole lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> now we're going to go on to our entertainment track brought to us by the Southeastern Railway Museum. And what do we have here for our entertainment track, Wayne? Well, there wasn't a whole lot of entertainment going on in February 1975 that was new. There was nothing on TV, but in the movies, The Stepford Wives. If you guys remember this, this is a, a, a woman and her husband relocate to Connecticut, a town called Stepford, and all the women live subservient lives to their husbands. I don't know if it was sort of like, I don't know. I, I didn't see the movie. I don't know if it was like probably you know, doesn't, aliens or whatever else they got in the minds of their wives, but, you know. Probably okay. doesn't hold up well. <laughs> well, actually, they did a remake. <laughs> 
<laughs> the remake was like cyborgs or aliens or <laughs> oh, some, it? some some weirdness. Yeah, yeah something like they would they would take the women and somehow they would come back as robots. So oh, yeah, okay. It's very very interesting. There was a western called The Black Bounty Killer with uh, uh, former football player Fred Williamson. Uh, the strongest man in the world. I don't know if you saw. I've that. seen that. Kurt yeah, Russell. Kurt Russell's in it. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's like a he's like a teenager. He's like a yeah. high school kid. Yeah, yeah. those Disney movies with him in it were. Yeah, he had computer wore tennis shoes. Yeah. I, I remember going and seeing those when I was a kid and everything. And the last movie that came out in February 1975, Shampoo with Warren Beatty, and that was sort of a it was it was a hipster one. I never got into it. It's sort of a guy that was slept around with a bunch of women but you know i guess history in my life nah kidding <laughs> i swear wayne i swear man it, it, you can't help yourself can no you? i can't not today all right well that was film of february 1975 we're gonna go on to staff picks all right guys i wish i could play the whole 10 minute version of my favorite song by kansas this song is song for america they do cut most of the instrumental parts out of this. This is the single version. It is epic. It is an opus. It is just the classic, majestic prog rock song at its best. You know, you can hear Kansas in it because they're singing with the instrumentation. Yeah. Uh, the violin, that's what their big thing was, the violin and going with this. So... Um, someone had put the subtitle on this was like Song for America There's no place like home And I was just like Kansas No place like home Oh I get it <laughs> Alright this song was written by Carrie Livgren um, He wrote the song while looking Down at the country from an airplane flying From Kansas to Denver he was just kind of musing over the our relative young, relatively young nation, yeah, and everything. And this song actually has kind of like two halves. The first half talks about you know how everything is really gorgeous and and how it is. And if you fly across the country, a lot of it, especially past the Rockies, is just almost undisturbed. Um, you know, painted desert, sequined sky stars, filled the night, pure life abounds. But then the second part is more of like, okay, man comes or the European colonization. And um, it just highways scar the mountainsides, buildings to the sky, people all around. I mean, this song, I mean, is dominated by... The bass, dun 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 dun, dun bum. Yep. Keyboards, that violin. This, if you're going to listen to 10 minutes of this, you need to have headphones on. Because it is absolutely a wonderful song. Somebody called it true ear candy. Yeah, you can hear all the, the vocals are just working so well together. And of course, you said violin. You hear the keyboard. It's a relatively obscure song by Kansas. I mean, it, it's not really that, you know, deep just because it's 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 free their whole carry on wayward son, dust in the wind, point of no return. But a lot of people had bought those previous albums and then bought this one. But look, listen, 
go listen to this song, Song for America, Kansas. All right. What a great song. Well, thanks, Wayne. That was fun. We'll have to listen to the 10-minute version. Download it. Uh-oh, who's bringing that one? Is this for you, Rob? Yeah, this is me. According to the book, It Shined, by band member Michael Granda, this band name was derived from Cosmic Corn Cob and his amazing Ozark Mountain Daredevils. <laughs> Somebody came up with it at a naming party. <laughs> so this is the Ozark Mountain Daredevils with Jackie Blue. It's just got a cool groove to it, oh, doesn't it? Does. it? It's great. Yeah, I, I had this song on a K-Tail album. I don't know if you guys had those. Oh at the time. yeah, yeah. They'd have all the hits. Like you know, you could get a lot of different songs on it. This is definitely a '70s song, isn't it? it yep. This demo tape ended up at A&M Records, and the staff producer David Anderley was looking for an Eagles country rock type of band to add to the label. And he got the Eagles producer, Glenn Johns, to go with him to Missouri and check out these guys. And they're like, yeah, let's add them to the label. And this is from their second album, It'll Shine When It Shines. And this was their second top 40 hit, and it made it to number three. She's got a good voice, man. I, I dig her. I dig her kind of chill voice. I'm not. I'm not much for the song exactly. But <laughs> did you want me to tell him, or do you want so to tell him? So this is the interesting thing. It's not a female singing. It sounds like it. <laughs> is it not a female singer for real? It's not. That's it's not, not a female. This is Larry Lee, who's the drummer, and he's the one who came up with that's this song. crazy. And it was originally about a drug dealer that worked at the local bar that he. He knew this guy. That's amazing. And Jackie Blue was supposed to originally be a guy. The producer said, let's make Jackie Blue a female. So Lee, the drummer, rewrote the song, and they recorded it about That guy's got a crazy falsetto, man. Yeah. Listen to that. Yeah, now you say it, I can hear a little more bass in it, but... But it, it's still, it's. I would still, I would still have bet the house that it was a female yeah. singing it. I like it that this guy Jerry Mills said that Jackie Blue sounds commercial because it has a certain structure that happens to sound good on a car radio. It is a great song. I mean, this is one of those classics, forever classics. I mean, strawberries. Strawberry wine. I wonder who what that I wonder if that was Boone's Farm on that. Yeah, probably so. Man, you guys are crazy. That's a girl. That's a girl singing the song. Her life is a drag. Yeah. I that's another I guess word that we don't use that much. It's interesting to me that that they were really looking for somebody to be like the Eagles. It, this could yeah. this could fit in with the Eagles. Yeah. Not, the vocal range maybe not, but you could the Eagles could absolutely cover this. Yeah. After Joe Walsh joined them. Yes. I think that would be required. This made it to number 3 on the Billboard Hot 100. 
Then May of 1975. This is when it was released, February of 1975. So I hope you enjoyed that. Some of us hadn't heard it in a long time. Lynch has never heard it, apparently. I've never heard that in my life. <laughs> you haven't heard this song? Really? I've never heard that in my life. All right. Well, let's see if you've heard this song that you're bringing. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I heard this song first time when I was researching for this. For this. I, okay, so, okay, so I'm born in 1975, right? So I'm, right. at this point, I'm not born yet. I was born <laughs> at the end of 75. You didn't hear this in the womb? No. <laughs> Thank God, No. <laughs> Okay, let me tell you guys. Normally when I pick a song, I wait for you guys to, like, tell me what you guys are going to go. And I'm going to go and, like, try to, like, compliment it with something else, right? This time, I was like, you know what? I'm going another direction. I'm going to make a point here. Okay. And my point is this. Okay, let me introduce the song. This is number nine, Dream. Number nine is on it for some reason. I don't know why. Number nine. Actually, I'm going to explain why in a minute. By John Lennon. Okay, off his off his uh, Walls and Bridges album that came out in '74, right? So this single's released, and it it by this point, obviously, the song has risen to what spot on the radio? Number nine on the charts. Did this really go to number nine? That's the not, highest it ever went. I do not even remember this song at all. I can't believe this song hit number 99. Okay, this song is. Absolute trash. Uh, John Lennon apparently just gets gets a buy because he's John Lennon. Did Yoko write this song? <laughs> no. Let me tell you. So John Lennon, <laughs> that got Sean. <laughs> he had broken up with Yoko, or she had broken up with him at this point. Yeah, I remember this. He the has a dream. Weekend. Obviously, it's, I, I don't know. Obviously, but it feels like a drug fuel dream. He wakes up out of a dead sleep. That's just nonsense sounds he heard in his dream. This sounds like that uh, George Harrison's. Yes. yes the, yeah. the, it's just nonsense. It's and now literal what? nonsense. Wait, now it's Strawberry Fields. It is a little bit <laughs> Strawberry Fields. Yes, it is. He, he like borrowed from so many different songs to make this song. He literally woke up and in one like one five minute period just scratched out the words of this song, and then he started borrowing sounds from all his other songs and, and other stuff, and just pieced this song together, and like walked in the studio and they were like, "Yeah, cool, John." I, I, I imagine at this point everybody around him was just a yes man. Well, people don't remember, but yeah, after the Beatles. Really, George Harrison and Paul McCartney were the big guys out of that. I mean, yeah. yeah, John Lennon had some stuff. I mean, Ringo Starr had some good hits. But up until when he got killed, I mean, his albums really did not perform like they had performed with the rest of the Beatles. He's a little he's the most psychedelic of them all. Yeah. You know, I mean, the other guys kind of had some reality in their music and their style. What do you think, Sean? No, I just can't get out of my head what John had said about Yoko. I wonder where it would have placed if Yoko had sung this. Oh, my God. Get out of here with that. Yoko, get out of here. All right, so there's a mystery voice in the background you can hear, and that's May Pang, his new girlfriend. Yeah, that was right. The, the, we, we talked about the lost weekend he had with uh, Harry Nielsen, and I think Alice Cooper was part of it. There And... What was it? Lost Mickey, Mickey, yeah, the it's just Mickey, a bunch of drugs. Mickey Dolan's of the Monkeys. Yeah, it was. It was just. It was literally 
a full week of just hard, hard partying. But yeah, I can right. see where so, you got this. Apparently, May Pang wrote a uh, like a tell-all about her life with John Lennon, and yeah. she said she was not actually supposed to sing this. But she was in the studio, and the female vocal they had hired to come in and do the background female voice didn't bother showing up. You hear what he's saying? You hear that? Ah, wawakawa, pashe, pashe. That's just nonsense. That's not an actual language. That's just him just making up nonsense and just going. In my opinion, it's a slap in the face of music where he's just like, I'm so famous, I can just write down whatever the hell I want, and you're just going to produce it. And it actually went to number nine somehow. Wow. I'm very sorry, listeners to this show, for having put this on you, but. Like I said, at least it's Yoko, history. Yoko didn't sing on this. At least we, ha- yeah, we have a little bit of variety. It's yeah. rock history, so you, you you got subjected to it. All <laughs> right. Well, now we're going to go back to the man who started it all, and so Sean Mooney has got a deep cut here for us. What do you have? Yeah, this is definitely a deep cut because I love Aerosmith, but when I was I was looking for songs that were in '75. This one came up, and I said, well, I'll listen to it and see what it is. And then I was like, okay, I like the way it sounds. But then the interesting thing, I started listening to the words, and I was like, what What are they saying? Because when I'm thinking Adam's apple, what would, what would you think of? Throat. Your throat. Yeah, yeah. a guy's Adam apple. Well, I, I've heard the song, so I know it's back when Cain is able. I had no idea. But then when you start to listen to the words, this is actually about the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3. So I'm listening to the words. Now, it might be a naughty version of, of that she story. She ate it. <laughs> she ate it. And love it first bite. And actually, Steve wrote this, and Steve was wanted to change the name from Adam's Apple to love it first bite, and they wouldn't let him do it. Huh. Uh, I thought that was that was an interesting little tidbit there that uh, he wanted to be able to change it to that uh, to that song title. But yeah, this is just one of those where I just kept listening to it, and the the sound is amazing. Uh, the, the musicality is great. The drumming is excellent. Uh, and to know that what the actual song is about was uh, was definitely a surprise, I must say. Well, we did the album Toys in the Attic way back when. I think Brian oh, okay. brought it. Long time ago. Yeah, and I mean, we what a great album. I had this. This was one of the first albums I ever bought with my own money, you know. But yeah, I remember when Toys and Attic came out on the radio, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh my goodness, what a great song!" And then you know, here, you know, you know, oh no, Walk This Way was one. Then Toys oh, in the yeah. Attic. I mean, uh, I mean, geez, there's so many great songs on this. Big ten inch record. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say, was that an eight track or no, 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 or? no, it's an album. <laughs> no. Uh, no, it's when they had those Victrola back yeah. when yeah, Wayne yeah. was young. That's when Wayne, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the kind of collection that Wayne has in the house. I bought this on cassette in the 80s. On, on 78. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I don't remember hearing this. I didn't have that album. Oh, but I'm loving this, man. Now, I don't know why it wasn't more popular. Well, there were so many other songs. Back in the day, you may not have done this, but when we bought albums, we listened to the entire album over and over and over again until our parents were just slamming on the walls going turn that crap down because yeah you just you just loved it i mean you read to it i mean i didn't do homework to it because i didn't do homework but you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm so surprised yeah so some of the lyrics 
Um, here's one that jumped out at me. It says, even, even Eden, voices tried deceiving with lies that showed the lady the way. At first, she stopped and turned and tried to walk away. Man, he was a believer. Lady was deceiver. So the story goes. But you see, the snake was he, and she just climbed right up his tree. Wow. So she ate it. Lordy, it was love at first bite. Well, she ate it, never knowing wrong from right. What? Wow. I mean, those lyrics are like, wow, okay, I see. Yeah. I can hear Genesis 3, but wow, a little different. Interesting take on it, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. I don't remember that one in Sunday school. Huh? <laughs> so what album of Aerosmith's was this? Toys in the Attic. Like, Toys in the Attic. Number? But, I mean, how many had they done? Do you know? Is this the third or fourth? Third album, I think. Because they Get Your Wings, they had uh, Aerosmith. And Rocks, I think Rocks was after this. They're playing so well yeah. together. They just sounds great. Oh, it sounds fantastic. Another one of those heritage groups that's, you know, they, they play Las Vegas quite a bit. And sometimes they tour. They may be on a final tour, I think, They now. should do a Las Vegas show. Yeah, they have. They're, yeah, they're touring right now. Never knowing wrong from right. This is a good one, Sean. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I just became a fan of this song after never hurt, never uh, hearing it before. That's awesome. All right, well, now we're going on to either instrumental or a laugh track. And what do we have here, Wayne? It's an instrumental, BT Express with Express. And this was a hit back in February 1975. And believe it or not... I had this one on the K-Tail album also. Did you so, really? Yes. So. so the BT Express is a train. I don't know, but we usually get to, like, the top hits of February 1975. Wait a minute. I want to point out that this is very much a disco song, and you have. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I had it on K-Tail record. Let's not skip over this. <laughs> Momentous admission by at, Wayne. At, Hold at, on a second. Wait a minute. We had this was time of the hustle. This no, guy no, had not come up there. Don't try to don't try to obfuscate what is going on here, Wayne. <laughs> you are constantly trashing my adoration for one of the greatest bands that has ever existed, the Bee Gees. And yet you are admitting you had a disco album. No, it was not a disco album. It was a compilation album. That's how they got whatever, it. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're No Good by Linda Rodstead, that remake. Ooh, and I love Van Halen's cover of that, yeah. too. Stevie Wonder had Boogie on Reggae Woman. Another instrumental, Pick Up the Pieces by the Average White Band, if you guys remember that. Talk about the Eagles. They had Best of My Love. Grand Funk, Some Kind of Wonderful. And the Tubi Brothers, Blackwater. Some albums that came out in February 1975. Living Newton-John had Have You Never Been Mellow. ACDC had their debut album, High Voltage. We talked about John Lennon had Rock and Roll. Led Zeppelin had Physical Graffiti, and that is my favorite Led Zeppelin album. I don't know about y'all. Alice Cooper had Welcome to My Nightmare. Ambrosia had Ambrosia. There's a good songs off of that one. Wet Willie, Dixie Rock. Kansas, Song for America. Humble Pie, Street Rats. And then we had Carol King. She did a soundtrack called Really Rosie. 
But that has been your music of February 1975. You've been listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm John. I'm Rob. And Sean, thanks for bringing it today, brother. Thanks, guys. This was fantastic. You'll have to come back and join us again. Will do. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Never, never forget, Wayne loves disco. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us, follow us on Facebook, and visit whattheriff.com to find all our episodes. Special thanks to our sponsors, the Southeastern Railway Museum, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week for more What the Riff. <laughs>